everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and as of this week, I'm finally a registered, licensed yoga instructor, uh, as well as an author of multiple books on cycling and writer about all things fitness-related and doer of most things fitness-related. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm wondering why the collagen that I put in my coffee is not dissolving like usual. Um, I just returned from the gym where I work as a kinesiologist uh, and also an endurance coach. Hashtag bulletproof. Uh, Not really. I mean, it's, I guess, similar. It's sort of the component amino acids of the protein or more so than fat, but (laughs) I guess similar problems. Mm -hmm. I was actually wondering what you put in your coffee. Maybe less disaster pants, but Oh boy, we're, we're going there already. Actually, that was a perfect um, mention as we're getting into race day issues today. That is and the topic of today's podcast. Yeah, so we're doing a Q&A. I had uh, I'd been doing an article about race day stuff and I just kind of posted on Twitter if anyone had any race day questions or issues and I think I got 70 odd responses, which is the most responses since I asked about saddle sewers like four years ago that prompted me writing a whole book on the topic. So we figured at least a podcast on the topic made sense in in this case. I mean, it's a pretty common issue, right? And it's, I think the fact that it's common also makes it sort of normal, which is sometimes helpful. I think we always joke uh, about how, you know, people always say, oh, it's not nerves. You're just excited. Just just embrace yeah, me. embrace the excitement of the race, and I don't know if that's that's helpful yeah. always, but I guess that's the idea. You do want to be what they call in sports psych is, is is aroused. So there's an optimal arousal. Uh, this is the inverted U. You may recall from your psych 101, um, and the idea is that you know if you're just you know mopey, like you've been watching cartoons all morning, and hey. you, know, you just show up on the line, and you're not really paying attention, and you're half asleep, and you're not really challenged by the race, or you're not, um, you know, nervous about the race, where you have to get into that fight or flight sort of mindset um, or arousal, then you're not going to do as well. And if you're over excited, over aroused, so to speak. Um, you know, that's where you make mistakes. You become really focused on random things. Um, You know, you're trying to focus on a lot of things. You make mistakes, you fall over. We've all been there. You know, you crash. Um, You perform poorly because you're just on the wrong side of that inverted U, right? So we want to be in that optimal zone. Mm -hmm. And then the trick is how do we get to that optimal zone? Yeah. So this is also a really good episode for me to be recording this week as it is leading up to my first race in... Since Iron Man, actually, so since early August of last year, and also just just put it out there, my first road race in uh, six years or so. So I'm heading down to Killington to do the Killington stage race with my bike red share coffee team. Really excited about that. And I mean, I guess that's you know in some ways a, a good example here that you know do you, do you feel extra nervous because it's a little unknown, a little out of your usual. I actually don't know what I feel yet. Ask me again on Friday. You might be on the wrong side of the inverted U. I mean, if I start my inverted U right now, I'm going to be a wreck by race day, considering we're recording this on Tuesday morning and my race is on Saturday. So I'm I'm trying to keep my, my stuff together right now. I guess that's true. You don't want to go into the optimal zone too early. Yeah, don't want to peak. Um... 
Yeah, I think that's, you know, what we're going to keep coming back to today. I sort of like to start articles or whatever, which is sort of, I mean, that's your standard paragraph, uh, you know, essay format. We thesis have a, statement? Uh, yeah, we have a, a thesis statement, you know, our comma, our big points. And the big thing is, is sort of this gameplay is what I call it, or I, I like the phrase, make your everyday stance your battle stance. Um, and this idea that, you know, when we're super nervous about things and there's all these unknowns we're going to go through today, you know, what do I wear or what's the food I should eat? You know, that seems to be the recurring thing this year is, you know, setting up the bike, especially for race day and this hydrating or fueling, you know, and it's, it's make your everyday stance, your battle stance. Like it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be so many unknowns on race day that you're a complete wreck trying to figure out and make all these choices, Right. All those choices, all that energy, all that nervous energy should go into that start, you know, in a cyclocross or mountain bike race or that critical moment where the group splits apart in the road race, right? We talk about these defining moments. Just gave myself butterflies. And and that's really what we're training for is to make all that other stuff irrelevant. You're used to putting leg warmers on when it's cold, you know, you're used to tuning your bicycle daily so that it functions, right? used to shifting and standing and sprinting and all these little elements so that on race day you're just showing up and riding with a bunch of people right and it shakes out how it does so we hope so that's that's our thesis so we'll see how we can apply this to specific things and maybe pull out so we have some user or user questions listener questions listener questions i don't know if they're users no that's not a good way to call them no that's rude okay anyway we're we're gonna get into it now um, and actually, Peter's also racing this weekend, so again, good for us to get some of this info out. And Also an update, the collagen has dissolved. Ah, good job. Yeah, okay. I didn't do anything, I waited, mm. which maybe sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah, which we will get into. <laughs> just, just wait. <laughs> All right, anyway, our first question is sort of this idea of like, just a little bit of everything, like the whole day is one of the freakouts, right? Like, just... You know, where do you start? Like, how do you time your warm up, overdressing, underdressing, bike setup? It's the the details that stress this person out. Um, just all of the timing issues that go into the day, all of the packing issues, just sort of everything. There's no one specific question. So I think I kind of wanted to put this first because I, I feel like there's that old saying, like, the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a really good example of that. Yeah, I mean, and because it's a very general question, I'm going to go back to my overarching thesis statement, right? And basically, I have gone to keeping all of my riding accessories in one giant gear bag. Um, A lot of times stage races will give you, it's essentially like a hockey bag, and I put little bags of all my arm warmers, leg warmers. I have one zippered bag that has like my sunglasses, sunscreen, chamois cream, first aid kit, like all those sort of, we'll call those ride accessories, whatever, right? So it's fairly organized, but also just like a clump of everything I need to ride my bicycle. And then most days of the week, I go in and I ride my bicycle. So some days that bag is sitting on our bed. Yeah, it's very you know, annoying. I'll pull it out. Some days it's often, it's in one of our cars and I'm on the side of the road changing in Toronto or wherever. And that's our life. But, you know, a lot of people are going to the trailhead if they're mountain bikers or going to a local park or riding from work or whatever, going to a group ride. And so you're essentially just practicing getting dressed, riding every day, doing intervals that are easy and long and slow and hard, and, you know, eating on those rides, fueling how you want to, similar amounts. 
And then on race day, you show up and you maybe pin a number onto your jersey and that's a little different and you have to show up at a certain time, but that's just like a group ride. And then you race. Well, there you go. Just that easy. It is, but I think sometimes we miss that, right? And it's hard if you have, you know, life going on. It's, you know, it's hard. But I think if you're a bicycle racer, you usually are riding several times a week. And I think sometimes it's that extra attention, right? Like, how long do you warm up? Well, how long did you warm up for your interval session? What did you do? You know, sometimes we can do a lot better in our interval sessions if we actually warm up like we would on a race day. So practice your race warm up more, right? It's often doesn't have to be that much. 15 minutes, you know, this will be a later question too, but... A lot of times people overthink the warm-up. You just need to get sweaty and breathe in a little hard, right? Get the. I always think about it when I was younger. Someone said, you just need to get the first crappy effort out of it, right? Like, mm. if you don't warm up for a mountain bike race, that first three minutes feels extra bad. Um, you know, so if you go and do a one- or two-minute hard hill, you know, you'll feel that, what people would call lactate or that burn in their legs. They'll get breathing. Right. And then you go to the line, and then it feels less bad. Yeah, I actually, I've always had a... I've always struggled with the warm up because I admit like I almost like don't want to like get any of the efforts out of my legs. I really want to like hang on to any and all hard work. So I know that's why I haven't been fantastic at cyclocross is pretty much because it would usually take me two laps to sort of warm up in a real way. Yeah. I mean, and that's the defining moment that, you know, what we're calling like in the race, are you behind at the start or do you get gapped later in the race? And then that's the defining moment in practice. You need to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, your intervals are just, you're practicing for that defining moment, right? Um, you know, certainly we have intervals that are more physiological based, you know, in your base season, maybe it's not as specific, but you're always keeping that in mind. We're sprinkling those sprints, those hill climbs, those, you know, the warm up, the cool down. Um, it's all just practice for the race day. And that's, that's really what we're trying to work on. And the one little tip, I guess, even for you, you can t- maybe sort of, weigh in on this but i am super anal and my clients listening will chuckle that if they don't use the lap function on their garmin i go berserk Mm -hmm. so if you make a new file for your race after you warm up i go berserk because that's different that's not how we warm up and do our intervals so now you just made this like some special now you're doing three workouts in the day Right. Like, what is that mindset? And so they'll say, oh, well, I want to know how long the race is. Well, there's lap distance. There's lap time. There's lap average watts. There's lap a lap function. So you set up your Garmin and you do your intervals like this. If you're an endurance ride, you might warm up easy for 15 minutes getting out of town, then do your three-hour endurance ride, and then cool down when you're rolling back into town. And those might be your three laps. Mm -hmm. But that mindset of start, stop. Right. Right. There's a click in your brain when you press that button. And to me, that is essential to be ready for race day where someone else is going to say, start and you're going to go. Right. And the people that don't do that, you know, there's the one guy on Instagram. I'm sorry if he's listening, but I, I will keep wanting to comment on this man's thing. He's got like, he doesn't use the lap button on his Garmin. So he has to tape all these durations. So like hour 23, 30, his 30, 30 intervals start. And then at an hour 24, you know, he takes a break and then an hour 24, 30. And he has this written on the one picture. It was his entire top tube of these durations. And I said to Molly, like, just warm up. And then it's 20 minutes of 30 seconds on 30 seconds off. Like you just press lap once and then 20 minutes back and forth. 
Also, you save like 10 minutes of your time not writing that out. And so that's my crisis with my busy clients is, you know, it doesn't like it never needs to be that perfect. And it I never want that like extra time, right? Like that's the bane of training and coaching is that like it adds time to what should be an overly simple, you know, a fairly simple process. We're just riding a bicycle up a hill or around in a circle or whatever your goal is on the bicycle. Yeah. So that's a bunch of general stuff. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. that was good. All right, let's get into sort of the more esoteric question of self-talk during the race. Um, and a lot of people commented on this. I know I've certainly had races where I've done this where you turn off, but either, and I mean, God knows you've been around me long enough to know my, my start line freak out is pretty legendary. Uh, so yeah, one person said they always have a moment where they wonder what the hell they're doing this crazy thing for, you know, fighting the urge to puke on their shoes or, you know, just kind of sneak your bike out of the start grid or if you're a runner you know just kind of slowly back out of that start corral or you know even just tell yourself you know what just gonna walk it or soft pedal it or whatever and just basically take yourself out of the race um i know i struggle with that pre-race jitter a lot and then even in the race it sometimes takes a little bit or if you're in the race and some people have said this like they're in the race and they start feeling crappy or one thing goes wrong and suddenly they you know just kind of explode everything sucks there's a lot of variations on this there's one guy i grew up racing and there was always this joke that if he wasn't doing well suddenly like he would just stop and let the air out of his tires um, I've been tempted to do that on many occasions. And like, I did see him walking out of the forest a few times when things went, but I mean, maybe he just got flats. Maybe he got over, you know, on the wrong side of that inverted U and he crashed and he got a flat. Maybe that was fine. Maybe he had an arousal issue. That's rude. Yeah. Always brought chuckles in psych 101. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Arousal. Yeah. Uh, so where do we start on that? Uh, let's start at the start line. So that like 15 minutes before the race, half an hour before the race for some of us. Your negative self-talk. Yeah, just that, oh my God, what am I doing here? Why did I do this? Why is my heart rate so high? Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. What do I do? Well, I mean, I almost want to step back from that. So with a lot of people, I find they just need to race a bit more. So I would have them, and you have fought me a bit on this, but I feel like those people often haven't done weekly races and group rides enough. So they need to go, that's a good way to get over that. So we don't necessarily deal with it on, like there's nothing I can tell you, right? Like in coaching, there's been a few coaching courses. I think Mike Garrigan might've invented this, but the worst thing as a coach is to go up and like give a bunch of advice to this athlete who's panicking, right? They're panicking in that 15 minutes and you're like, okay, we'll just focus on this. And then they're going to like focus only on this, right? Um, I think they called that like eating, I'm going to, eating an SH apostrophe or T. I don't want to have to add the explicit logo to this podcast <laughs> for today, but um, eating a S-word sandwich as a coach, that was the technical term for that. I thought that was just like you say something nice, then you say something mean, then you say something nice. No, that's like a, isn't that some sort of open-faced uh, SHIT sandwich or something like that? Well, that or... would just be saying something mean and then oh, something nice. right. Well, there's so many techniques on how to give criticism. In any case, <laughs> that is not the time to give advice or to suddenly fix your nerves. It's, you know, why are you nervous and are you too nervous, right? So you always want to assess, like, everyone feels like on the world championship start line there's that like arousal ah! right and i think it is worth looking at that as arousal or excitement but you want to look is it too much and then how do we deal with that so for me i find that 
my best races come if I'm a little more social before the race because I tend to be very introverted and overthinking. So if I talk to people and I just know, okay, I'm going to start my warm up an hour out. So if we're going to race at noon, I know at 11, I'm dressed and I'm rolling and I'm going through that routine that I've practiced in training. Just warm up like I usually do. But I'm talking to people to stay out of my own head before that. And then I have my familiar warm up. And then I'm on the start line for staging. And again, in the staging, I used to just sit there quietly and look grumpy. But now I try and joke around a bit and... You know, you do a little bit. I know of, that's sort of unnatural for you, but eh, I like to make jokes. But I just like to point out that even having this discussion, if you had a heart rate monitor on me right now, right, or like you could see brainwave patterns, you'd see that I'm already starting to freak out just thinking. About so now, the start. on the flip side, if you are someone who's maybe a little distractible, we all know like that person who just can't be focused enough, and then they maybe get to the start line and they panic. Or they're not focused enough, maybe, right? Like, maybe they're too, they're on the the less aroused side of the optimal you. Um, I'll put an image of this you for those that haven't had excessive. But if you can picture this, you know, it goes up, the arousal, the excitement. Like a bell curve. Yeah, and that's sort of your performance, right? So the more aroused you get, there's it's good until a point, and then it plummets, right? So it would be like something that's good for you, like training would have an inverted you pattern, right? bit more training, a bit more training is good. You get fitter, you get fitter until you start overtraining, getting tired, getting tired, and your performance would drop. So same thing with this arousal. Okay, so the person who then is a little crazy might do better. You know, maybe they have to arrive at the race a little later, you know, just go and start their warm up, maybe park a little further away so they don't get as much of that stimulation. Mm Mm-hmm arrive at the start line, stay focused, breathing, maybe they have a cue word, something on their handlebar they're focused on, you know, just they have their checklist they're going through. And that might be the best situation for them, right? Yeah. I found out for me, actually, so last year with the Xterra and Kelso, it was the first year you couldn't come with me to the race. So I actually went by myself and I really planned out how my morning was going to go. So I had my like really cheesy pump up the jams playlist ready. I like did this lovely little warm up run by myself. I had my headphones in, so until five minutes before the race, I had headphones in, didn't have to talk to anyone, was just completely in my own little zone. And I realized I had probably the best race I've had because I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't talking to my dad. I can say that because he's not listening to this. Um, I love when people are with me at the race, but I'm not someone that handles support at races very well. Well, and sometimes, you know, if we think about the gameplay a lot of us would end up doing, it's usually pretty isolated. You get yourself dressed, you fill your own bottles, you know, you show up at your quote unquote start line and you press your lap button or else you get yelled at and you do your workout, right? Whatever that is for the day. So sometimes like those horse blinders, you know, you just show up, you know, you get out of your car, you put your stuff on, you put, you know, the plates on the bike or whatever, and then, you know, you warm up and then you show up at the line and... Go to work. So you're trying to minimize the amount of things you're, you know, the stimuli that you're exposed to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of people, you'll see a lot of pros just warm up in a tent facing the wall with earphones on just so there's not, you know, you're not trying to figure out where you're warming up at a new venue. You know, it's the exact same routine every single time, right? They take their clothes out of the bag, they get on the trainer, they do the same warm up, they go to the start line at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So then you're eliminating those new stimuli, right? So that you're ready on to make those decisions, those high-speed decisions during the race. 
Yeah, and then I think the only last thing I'd say about start line nerves is a couple years ago I started doing this thing where I tap my thumb to my index finger, middle finger, ring finger, pinky finger, just sort of over and over again when I'm on the start line. Was that that was in the Brave Athlete book? They talked about that, what, didn't they? Some sort of tapping thing. They had maybe. some sort of tapping thing, but I'd been doing this for a few years beforehand. And might, or was that Matt Fitzgerald, or was that? I'm them? not sure. I I'm sure I've read about it, but I found that really helped calm me down at the start line just because it gave me some kind of tactile thing to focus on so now i even do it before talks and pretty much before anything that's stressing me out and some kind of reflexology bits and pieces help with that but i think it's more just having this thing that i know is like okay you're in the zone now it's about to be go time this is both like calming and kind of like yeah i think some, some breathing practice right however you want to go about that um, you know, just that, that calming deep breath is something, you know, in regular life I use often, right? When you get frustrated or you have to wait or you have to, you know, do something, like you say, do a talk that you have to get a little amped up for. Sometimes that breath of just like refocus is important. And I mean, even during a race that refocus, you know, if you crash or, you know, it's coming into that last lap and you know, you know, I guess, is that question here? Or are we on the next one? But those, those moments in the race that everyone has, you either you quit and that there's a, a spectrum of quitting, but if you let go of that wheel, you're quitting, right? Mm-hmm. Like you might finish the race, but you've let go of that defining moment, right? And everyone has those, but the Matt Fitzgerald, is it the Matt Fitzgerald book is how bad do you want it? Yeah. Um, you know, that's ultimately it, especially, you know, when everyone's tight, there's, you know, how hard are you willing to go or how deep into that red zone, right? So when you get to that point, you know, you have to be ready and focused, right? And sometimes that refocusing on what matters right now is what's missing. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to just throw out the caveat to all of this, which is just like, you know what? I don't think anyone listening here is getting paid a crap load to race. So, you know, two things. If it's not fun, maybe it's time to rethink why you're doing it and maybe consider taking a break off of racing to start missing it and actually wanting to do it again. If you really feel like this every single race. Um, And, you know, the second part is really just, like, remembering, like, when you're on that start line and you're freaking out. Like, what is the worst case scenario? Like, oh, you finished last? Like, is your family going to love you any less? Are you not going to make your paycheck? If you're not getting paid to race, like, no, your paycheck doesn't depend on this. It just doesn't matter that much. Yeah, I see that a lot with the type A's that I I coach, right? Like, there's no reason to expect that they're going to win. Like, you know, they're new to the sport. You know, no one, you know, there's legitimate, like, people that are getting paid in their race. You know, and they've built it up that, like, they've trained all winter and, you know, this is going to be their, their, you know, one shot, you know. At what? <laughs> and, and that's the thing is like, you know, we're building experience here, right? And, you know, I use the analogy sometimes of with some of the younger males that I coach, you know, they, they do, they train for three months in California and then they show up at the first big race and they're expecting to win, you know, and sometimes they build this up and that's as much my fault for letting expectations get out of control. But, you know, I don't even think in their head that they necessarily think they're going to win because they haven't really prepared for that defining moment. But they, they, they think they're going to do good, but it's a really vague good. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're building this up, and it's vague what they're actually trying to do. Yeah. Um, and, and so, 
they're almost doomed for failure, right? But if they are going to show up and try and, you know, improve their start spot is a big thing in mountain biking, or, you know, you have some process goals for the race, like when you get to that defining moment, you know, go around the person rather than being the person getting dropped. Like you're going to, that's your only goal for the race. When it gets super hard and there's four people slugging it out, you're racing for that single target, you know, it's all stringing out in that road race and that wheels dangling, like finish your race there. Like that's not finish, but that's your race. It's not yeah. the start line of the race, right? Like, cause that's the furthest you've gotten. It's like a video game. You just need to get to level four. You don't worry about level 10. You just yeah. need, if you're done on level three, like you're done. No, I remember my, uh, my first piece of advice when I did my first road race in college was my teammate Don was just told me like at literally all costs, you hold on to the wheel in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't drop that wheel or you've lost the race. And like, that's fine. If that's, you know, just know that when you drop that, like when that wheel drops, like you're, you're off, you're not going to win the race. Yeah. And I think again, the, the race goes better if your every day is closer to the race. Like there's a lot of times we show up and, and you can show up underprepared, but the expectation on the line should be lower. That's when, you know, you're there to participate and just, chill you'll probably have a great race if you chill but if you're underprepared and you show up thinking you're you got to do as well as you always did now that's where that arousal gets because now you're hugely threatening your ego and you're also underprepared so if you're going to go out with the same strategies same expectations and then you're going to have a mismatch of those expectations to the actual right Mm -hmm. but i have a couple friends who are great racers they've got they're they have good experience behind them but they're often underprepared but they roll out last and they make some jokes and then as the race goes on they pick people off and they feel better you know their expectations are higher or sorry low you know they don't have high expectations but mm-hmm. oh i'm passing this guy who trains all the time <laughs> look at that guy right and they do a good job on the things they can control like they they fuel during the race their bike is ready to go you know um so i think that's you know planning those expectations rationally and then in three to six months beforehand if we're going to prepare and really put a lot of ego on the line for a three-hour mountain bike race well then we need to be doing three-hour bicycle quote-unquote races you know we need to be preparing for this right a significant amount of climbing riding off road climbing and then it's not a big deal your everyday stance is your battle stance right yeah there we go Let's move on to the next one. Common themes, but that was a a good, but again, sort of general question. Okay, so the next one is actually family issues. And I feel like you probably have a lot of clients that deal with this. Uh, You know, one person is saying uh, her and her husband both race. So she has, you know, she struggles with trying to be both like thoughtful and helpful to him as he is to her while trying to like maintain focus on her own race. Um, A dad whose kids are always there. He's, uh, you know, nerve wracking anxiety is. Part of it is just fearing that his uh, son is getting cold or is hungry or, you know, is running through the woods. We know a couple that tend to get lost in the woods because they start oh chasing frogs. I mean, um, they're pretty awesome kids. They yeah, take they are care pretty sweet kids. Uh, they always make it out of the woods, for the record. Uh, and, you know, then even for some moms that that are still breastfeeding even we know a lot of moms that are amazing runners and they're they're racing and riders and riders yeah and they're racing and you know their babies are still breastfeeding and there's definitely a bit of struggle we actually like babysat for a couple races last season for our friend who you know was racing but her you know pretty young baby is 
you know, here with, with me and for her to get out of her head and like stop worrying that, you know, I'm meandering around with very little, you know, common sense about babies. <laughs> yeah, we were probably the worst people. I could have <laughs> but moral of the story, don't leave your children with us. Um, well, I mean, but they were fine. They had a good time. Yes. They um, survived. But anyway, yeah. So I think there's lots this. of good ideas there. I mean, again, we can only draw like I have clients who are in this boat. They have both parents are racing you know um or just just mom or dad are there and maybe the other partner isn't at the race so it's just you know we'll say mom in this case is there with a couple kids and she's gonna race which is great i think the, you know i think that's a, the healthiest situation versus parents there just kids racing is tougher right because then all the pressure's on the kids so the nice thing is if it's a family thing and this is the normal for the family to me we see a lot of high performance families we'll call them there everyone does well yeah pretty good balance but it just there's just this expectation that this is what you do you ride your bike or you run or you rock climb as a family happier healthier families for sure right and a lot of events have all sorts of levels it's not that you have to be an elite cyclist but there's a way to be a beginner mountain biker right and participate with your kids so that would be my first suggestion this isn't really the question but to participate as a family as much as possible is great um you know i always try and get i have very poor success with this but you know my dad used to come a lot and still comes occasionally and i try and rather than have him just stand in the feed zone where he doesn't see anything i've a couple times got him just you're gonna go walk and like go that way he loves the feed zone he does like the action and talking to people right but i at the same time mountain biking you don't really know what it's about so i got him to go walk and then that way he had a mission for the day and he went on a little adventure and got into the forest and he sees more of the race that way so he actually does enjoy it um but then you know he's actually getting some movement in right so it's again not just about me and him dedicating his whole day to standing in the feed zone to hand me a bottle that you know it's not that big of a deal we can figure that out so let's get to the question then yeah, how do you actually handle so, having kids that you're about? I think the about? big thing is, so well, let's start with the warm-up. Like, A, I would just practice really short warm-ups or just very little warm-ups and or practice easing into your intervals and your races and stuff, right? So a lot of the moms we know are actually pretty good, but we know a, a range of, of people. And I think that's, you know, a lot of times there isn't. I've seen, like, from breastfeeding to start line to and then ease through the race and then like winning some decent races actually yeah um and, and that's just the nature right i've you know our friend good friends actually and then scott was just uh he had to just he had the kids right before because kate was finishing her race and then um yeah i don't think he warmed up but i don't know that he ever warms up so that's why he said this is a great warm-up and i was like i think this is better than your normal warm-up to, to be fair he handed me the stroller and left on his warm-up so i think that's a few things right a that might just be your your battle stance might be a really short uh, warm-up for your battle stance and then the other thing is drawing on people like molly i think there's a lot of hey, hey, no. No, there's a lot of like grandmothers there's a lot of people that like kids there's you know someone who already has kids maybe just want to be clear here like molly not actually molly so sometimes i these things, like, I think we've gotten away as a, this is more of a general statement on humanity, but that, like, communal, right? Like, that communal parenting, right? There's a lot of, you know, some of the kids' clubs and stuff, right? Like, it's just, a, like you say, the kids are running all around. No one's really watching the kids, but everyone's sort of watching the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I would, tr- 
try and draw a bit on that to buy yourself a bit of time and some, because the other question was, I'm worried they're off in the forest. But if it's like, hey, don't go anywhere unless you're with like these couple other kids or, you know, talk to the couple other parents and like, hey, I'm racing at 10. Could you keep like an extra eye on these, on the kids? That might be, a, you know, something to do. I think there's also something to be said for like static warm ups even. Like, okay, you can't get out and run a mile or you can't ride part of the course or whatever because you have your kid. But, you know, can you use a trainer instead or... A, a few of the moms I know have done that. For yeah. running or riding or, I mean, even just, like do some jumping jacks or something if like you really can't leave. I think for running, you could definitely get really good. I mean, it's debatable how much really running, especially depending on the the race you're doing right yeah. but i think you could get away and then that would just be your normal like you always start with like a lunge matrix type sequence yeah. maybe a little toe hopping just getting the blood flowing a little bit yeah a bit of mobility and a bit of sort of jumping for you know skipping would be maybe an option that's easy for running uh so yeah, there's... just creating these you know kind of hacks around the warm-up i think even just strides right you could essentially leave a even a baby and just like back and forth in front of the car if you had to right yeah uh, if you were running. So that's, is there anything else in that question or is that sort of some ideas? I think that community, I mean, re-envisioning what your warm-up is and then training for a short warm-up, right? So the classic, like, I think Team Sky had one, which I guess is now debatable, but, uh, and it was like a solo ramp for 10 minutes and then a couple sprints. And then that was like the warm-up they were using for TTs and stuff. So, you know, I think that 10 to 15 minutes is plenty and that probably changes what a lot of people would be doing normally. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, yeah, let's let's move on to the next one, which is one of my personal favorites slash my biggest issues, which is the night before. So uh, one person said, I have the fear of oversleeping and then not sleeping at all the night before as a result, which I am so familiar with. I'll wake up every hour on the hour looking at the clock thinking it's, you know, my alarm has turned off and oh God, oh God, it's time to go. Um, panicking that you might've forgotten something. Um, trying not, and I loved this one, trying not to get more amped visualizing the start days prior to the start day. Um, so like I was kind of saying, we joked about this at the beginning where I'm like, oh crap, now I'm getting nervous just recording this podcast because I'm thinking about my race this weekend. And am I wasting my adrenaline and my energy on getting pumped up talking about this race? And I had nightmares about forgetting my jersey last night. So Clearly, I'm I'm already getting into that night before zone. So help. Yeah, I mean, I I still go back. A lot of the people. This is a general statement, but a lot of people who are, have these race nerves are also the people who are nervous about intervals or nervous about, especially testing, mm. the like CP twenty test, ah. right? And I think if you if you won't go do some weekly races or you know the the local crit or the local group right now, or if you find that doesn't make you nervous, then like get a coach to just give you tests and put the word test in bold um, and warm up for that like a race and do them because it just, it just, it is, it doesn't really matter, right? Like it's all just this cluster is the term they use for it, but it's an average, right? Like one day doesn't really matter, but it's, it's that over time, like who are you as an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. So one day of training doesn't matter. One race doesn't matter it's over time, right? But a lot of times we build it all to this one moment defining our ego, right? But it, it's not one moment, it's it's over time, right? So s start today with what is the thing you're nervous about and practice that. So what are we nervous about? Everything. Well, you said we're nervous about 
uh, forgetting like helmets and jerseys and stuff. That's okay. So one of what? The what? So I had my gear bag is my system. Yeah. Some people like checklists. Um, so having that all packed, start packing it two days before if you're yeah. nervous about it. Um, you know, put it all in the car, right? Like, and when you drive to the race, like put the your helmet and your shoes and like wear your kit. Like I wear my chamois, and people are always like, "Wow, you wear your chamois all day." I'm like, "Yeah," because I'm not forgetting my chamois. And I don't want to change in the middle of public at the race. So I just, and I, it was always just stressful and delayed my whole pre-race routine. So I just started wearing my chamois to the race and you know, so, and the shoes, I can see them because I'm super, I'm pretty obsessive compulsive in that it's, you know, in that I, I, okay, I forgot my shoe. Sometimes I'll bring two sets of shoes just, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I think the other thing to remember with sleep, um, Amy Bender said this in our podcast, gosh, almost two years ago It was a now. great, it's a little hard to listen to because it was early. Um, her she phone, was a little, her a little quiet. Yeah, great. but I think if you can like bluff your way through it or, you know, try it on different earphones, it's worth, there's some nuggets in there that are, are quite good for sleep. So she's been studying sleep for years and years and years. She has her PhD and did all of her yeah research in sleep hygiene and stuff like that. And one of the things she told us was just that like, one night of sleep is just not going to make or break your race day. It's really about like, you know, how have you been sleeping the couple weeks before? So, you know, if you know you're a really nervous sleeper the night before a race, probably start going to bed earlier in the weeks before the race. So you have kind of that bank of sleep and you're not coming into it a little low. Well, and again, this, this sounds a lot like it's not the training for today. It's not the test today. It's not the race today. It's who are you in these last 90 days, these last three months, these last six months, have you been sleeping or no? Because all these hormonal statuses and, you know, the way you use your, you know, do you you maintain your blood sugar? Do you, you know, there's all these factors that actually do influence your endurance and your fitness a fair bit, but also more importantly, your health, Um, you know, for sleep circadian rhythm, you know, if you're not used to going to bed at nine, you go to bed at 11 because you're up working or watching Netflix. And then on race day, you decide you're going to go to bed at nine. Well, of course, you're going to have trouble getting to sleep. That's not the time you go to bed. Yeah. Right. So it's that discipline every single day, you know, and again, we're not all elite athletes. Your discipline can be an 80% discipline, but that's, that's the thing. Like it's not the night before, right? Like there's lots of stories of people having McDonald's and, you know, being up all night and then actually having an okay race. Um, and a lot of it's just because they weren't probably expecting much on race day, but their three months before were great. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's freeing from a nervous standpoint, but now you're going to have to show up every single day, right? That show up is sort of my, often one of my refrains is you just got to show up. Most of life is if you show up every day, you'll do fine. But the bright side of this is you have to show up to go to sleep. So really how bad is that? Right. And so Amy's point was that it doesn't really matter. I can, I'll link to her podcast and also link to, um, there's a good infographic that sort of talks about this a bit, but I think making sure that you're not changing your usual so much that you're now not sleeping because you went to bed two hours earlier Mm -hmm. is part of it. Um, making your list so that you're not thinking about stuff, journaling, right? Set reminders for yourself. Whatever you're thinking about, just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. Yeah. I, I used to go in my pre-race journal, which is something I recommend people do, you know, s- schedule it the day, draw out your race course, have a race plan after the race. What? How did it go? What did you learn? What do you do next? different next time? What should you work on? What is your defining moment to work on next week? Um, but in the corner, that top left, I would always write back burner and I'd always have work and school and things I was stressed about in life. 
and I just put them under back burner. And I found that that was just like a plop. Like it's not in my brain anymore. I focus on the race for the next 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after the race, I would go back to working and everything else. Um, So sometimes that journaling, however you want to do it, is a, a good way to sort of get to sleep. I like that. Um, along with just keeping your bedtime usual. And I think we should put in here, like, are, is nutrition coming down the pipe here as well? Or? A little bit, yeah. Okay. But that's, it's the same thing for food. You're, you're pre-waste, you don't need a pasta super party. Just eat well for in, your training in the three months before and you'll be fine. Yeah, pretty much. Well, actually, so on that note, let's maybe just talk nutrition. You know, a lot of people have making sure that they eat, drink, uh, especially in the morning. Um, someone said uh, their nerves get in the way of nutrition. And I, again, this is one that I can totally relate to. I remember just like nibbling on a bagel. Like, granted, I don't do bagels on race mornings anymore. But when I first started, I'd have one and I would just be like, like mouse bites of it. And it was so hard to get down in the morning because I was so nervous. A lot of people struggle with eating um, before stuff like that. I mean, if it, if the race is early enough, you don't even really need to. You could just start fueling, you know, in your warm-up and early in the race. Depending on the race, it might not even matter, right? Like at something like Leadville, it starts at 6 a.m. It's a, you know, between 6 and 12-hour ordeal for people. Well, Iron Man, we just ate Cliff Bar. I think, and I had an insure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's one of those things, right? Like it, it's, you're not so concerned about the healthfulness often of, of the fuel. It's really, you want to have sort of top up those glycogen stores, you know, maintain blood glucose, um, and then also just avoid vomiting. So you're sort of in between those two poles, mm-hmm. um, not to overuse the inverted U, but there would be an inverted U of nutrition, right? Um, so if it's a very early race, you can just really just start into your race fueling and just not bother with breakfast. Um, I do think some people do really well with the simplicity of something like an insure, which again is not nutritionally that sound, but gives you some calories and some, you know, sugar and it's pretty digestible. That's sort of what it's made yeah. for. Any of those like instant breakfasty type things, carnation has Some people do think. really well. And that might be even just a, a short term fix to get you doing something. I mean, you could certainly do, there's lots of different products out there now, um, that are maybe a little bit more, um, you know, less additives and stuff. But again, I used Insure for Iron Man, right? Like the Iron Man's not paleo, so the way we went. Um, and I knew from back in the day that used to be what we would always do is like two or three Insures and then we'd race our mountain bike race and it was fine. Um, so, so I think, so I think that. yeah, and then just practicing, right? Like I think some people just aren't used to eating beforehand, but if it's early, like what races were, you, were your races later that you were sort of nibbling this bagel? Yeah, I've just literally never had a race where I haven't had a hard time eating beforehand. Even if the race was a cross race at 3 p.m., I will struggle all day to eat. Just being so nervous. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think just trying to do more liquids and, yeah. you know, whatever you can get down, right? What's Whatever's really appetizing. Yeah, a lot of triathlons also would be, like, around, like, 8.39 start time, which is, like, that awkward. You kind of have to get up, you know, usually around, like, 5.36 just to get to the place, get parked, get your transition stuff. And then you're kind of already in race mode at, like, you know, three hours before the race. So, like, even though you have plenty of time to eat, your body, has, like, your brain has kicked you into this, like, nervous race mode. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, it would depend on the person and the race. But, you know, something like, even some of the recovery, like, uh, recovery potions and stuff might oh, be totally. okay. Um, something like, you know, there's all the Vega things just a little bit of something in there might be might be good again especially if it's a shorter race if we're talking like a cyclocross race or something or a sprint triathlon where the intensity is coming up it, w- it would probably be a good idea to try something but 
you know, again, trying to time that and get your brain sort of wrapped around this is how I eat, you know, this is the timing of the eating. You see people not practicing that a lot and that's where the confusion gets around, but, you know, try and be disciplined about, you know, maybe you have eggs, vegetables for breakfast because you work, mm-hmm. you know, and then if you train at 5 or 6 p.m., you know, that 2 or 3 o'clock, you sort of have that pre pre-workout meal which is Mm -hmm. you know your typical you know some carbohydrate and some some protein right so that might be your rice and eggs or some people do like a yogurt and uh, some cereal or berries and you know a banana and a cliff bar or something like this right like whatever that pre-race thing is you want you think you should do you decide you want to do then you need to actually practice having that digesting it and then doing your workout yeah and then hopefully that you know makes it a little bit more of that routine for race morning, right? There's sort of a lot of stuff wrapped up in there. Like, why are you so nervous on race morning? Is that, you know, you haven't raced very much? Um, You know, have you not prepared for those critical moments? What are you nervous about? So sort of asking these questions, I find, is often what can we then prepare better for in the coming weeks, right? What can we simulate, right? right? So, again, if someone was really nervous about, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people on the line. I don't know how I'm going to do that. And you just, you just drill yourself with weekly races for a while and you get used to it, right? You win some, you lose some. Some people are faster, some people are slower, right? And you just get the start. This person's saying go. You get used to people around you, right? So do I get credit for, uh, we actually started uh, helping out our friends with this thing, the Calling Road Off-Road Cycling Club. Um, Cork.bike. bike. Cork dot bike. That's a if website you if you didn't know. The yeah. dot bike domain. If you want more info. Uh, we actually kicked off last Thursday and um, I guess that was my my weekly race, if you will, just because my friend Tori and I kind of like led out for the first little hill. So I feel like that was my my weekly race effort ahead of this upcoming stage race. That counts, right? Yeah, really hard uh, for a couple minutes. I, I mean, I certainly there's an element there, right? Because Scared there's a, there's a bit of an ego to that, and yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, it, it's you have to do it at whatever level you're at, right? A weekly race might be too much. You know, I have some clients who you know it's just easing them back into group rides. You know, maybe after an injury or something, and you know you go s- similar to the like standard concussion protocol, like you ride on your own. You maybe ride you know with a friend, just one friend. Then you ride with like a group of four that you're comfortable with. Then you go to a group ride. Then you go to a you know weekly race. Then you go to a full race or something like this, right? And then you're getting exposed gradually. Um, the other thing you can do that sometimes works really well, like I know when I went to a World Cup in Europe and just got completely overwhelmed. Like I can remember being so nervous and so scared, and the memories I have are just so overwhelming in my mind. And all of a sudden, every other race I ever did you know, in Canada or, you know, US, the domestic stuff, and then certainly local races, right? Like it actually took a bit to get excited enough for them sometimes, right? I remember I read something in Triathlete magazine probably 10 years ago that was just this woman writing about her workouts. And, you know, one of the things she reminded herself was like, I did Ironman, I can handle two more minutes of this interval. So I feel like I since then, I've used the like, I did Ironman, like, I can get through this like 30 mile race or this hour long race or any of that. Like it might not be pretty, but like I did an Ironman. It's fine. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think a lot of us have things like that to draw for. I don't yeah. think I'd ever tell someone to do an Iron Man to do that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of us have done crazy things. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I don't know if mothers use that, but I mean, I feel like that's a pretty... I gave birth, yeah. How much pain have you put up with, right? And I don't know, you know, a lot of people say they come back and they, you know, actually still race quite well. And I don't know if it's shift in perspective, like things don't maybe, you know, you have so much going on that that race just is like funner, there's more fun sometimes. Um but also maybe that pain threshold to changes. So, I mean, draw from whatever you have for sure. And that's, you know, you can frame things like that, you know, one more minute. Like I just, it's one more minute, right? And Yeah, you can do anything for one more minute. Um, this actually, nutrition kind of led into this next question that I want to tackle. We're, we're running low on time here, but I want to hit a couple more. And the one is the inevitable peeing, pooping question. Um, so everyone who's raced early knows the, the struggle is real with that, uh, that morning bell movement issue pre-race. Uh, some people have an easier time than others. Uh, some people have too easy of a time. Uh, some people are kind of nervous peers. So even on the start line, you like feel like you really need to pee, even though you probably don't, but the feeling is very real. Yeah. So... I think there is a everyday stance to this one as well. It's a more of a squatting stance, but mm. so I think you can definitely train the timing of that. So that's where the bedtime and stuff routine, but it, it's definitely hard if you're nervous or, you know, that will go one of the two ways you described as far as bowel movements. It'll either be easier or more difficult. Uh, if it's earlier, right? Like we did Ironman at, I don't know what time it started, six, but we were up quite early. So it's, you know, I'm used to waking up at 6.30 and have made that a focus so that, like, it happens soon after. Um, but sometimes it's, it's tough, right? So, I mean, people will go to coffee for sure to help with that, you know, and triathlon. I think there's even Ironman, you'll see people running. I was going to say, actually, jumping if, you read, up and down. if you read Iron War by Matt Fitzgerald, which is one of my like, all-time favorite books, uh, he mentions that Dave Scott would always run a couple miles in the morning before Ironman. And people thought he was crazy. Like, why the hell would you run two miles, you know, before you're about to go for, you know, 140.6? Um, and it was to go. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, the run will loosen things up. And I would say a lot of people moving. do, right? And that might even be a sort of healthy habit you could start doing is just throw on your shoes and, you know, do a, a quick run out the door. Or, we do love those morning runs. You know, even, I don't, I don't know if jumping in the house would have the same effect, but you could certainly do some, you know, I've been a big fan of sort of that two legs hopping together. Apologies to the downstairs neighbors. And then, you know, single leg hopping together and just watching for alignment there with the hips. For a lot of runners, that's really nice for the calves and the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also might have that that effect of sort of speeding things up. Um, but I think it's practicing. Like if you know you have that early triathlon and that's a, a, a defining moment for you, then that, that's important. I've also had races where it just didn't happen. And I don't know. I, I've rarely had it as an issue. So yeah, some, these are bike races. Trust me when I say in a running race, it is an issue. Well, I've had that too. Um, and, and so, again, I, I wonder, though, how many of those people, like, it definitely happens to even the best, right? Right but, side, your mile split for whatever mile you're aiming for the porta potty is actually probably going to be on par because you're going faster to get there. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's, you know, you could play with different things in, in training, right? Like, I think training at that time is a, is a big thing so that you either, your body, I think, does learn when you're running to hold on to it a little better. You condition those muscles. Um, and then also, I think if you're just timing things like that, I think you'll find that you're able to get it. You're less nervous about it. You're used to waking up and putting your shoes on and going. Um, 
So I just don't think it's, I think if you practice, like I think it comes back to that gameplay. That's, yeah. I mean, that's my refrain for most things, but. True. If you do find that you are just like peeing just so often in these cases, I would actually say it might not be the worst thing to go to a pelvic floor therapist and just get everything checked out. Cause sometimes there are ways you can strengthen your pelvic floor. So you don't have this intense urge to pee when you're running. Certainly and- if it's during the run, like beforehand, the nervous pee, like you could be over drinking. That's definitely a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to add is just more practical is, you know, if you know you're a nervous peer um, or that you have to often pee before a race, just give yourself that time to get to the porta potty and get to the start line. The worst thing is like getting to the start line and being like, oh boy, I either missed my chance or like now I'm like, rushing and it's even more stressful. I think so because I mean if you make that your routine like you get to the start line 15 minutes before and you go to the porta potty and mm-hmm. then you worry about getting into the line like it always seems like a rush and then you stand there for a long time it's not really that crazy um, you know you just make that part of your routine and then by a similar thing like you're used to doing that in your your normal workouts too right um, yeah. you know a bit of a warm up and then maybe you take a bathroom break um, so I think that's that's yeah. Probably the critical things. I think definitely watching the overhydration, similar to overfueling, uh, on race day, right? I think that's where some of that GI and some of that peeing a ton beforehand, even peeing during, you know, having heavy bladder. Again, we don't need to. Dave Scott actually tweeted this just the other day, the same triathlon uh, legend that Molly was referencing. So he does some coaching and stuff now, but um, was one of the top Ironmaners in the 80s, yep. early 90s. Um, and, and he sort of was said the same thing, like, stop doing these massive like refeeds or, or, you know, trying to overfeed yourself the day before these things. Most of us aren't doing Ironman tomorrow either, right? Like these races often are not that, you know, that long and excruciating. Yeah, for sure. And, and just overhydrating, right? Like if you're generally hydrated, you'll be fine. And then just, you know, don't, you know, make sure you drink during the race as required and go from there. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of the other questions kind of centered around this morning timing. So like, oh, parking is really stressful. Like, oh, God, when do I get to the course in the morning? Um, I think my general advice for that, and I'm just going to say this as a blanket statement, is like plan to be there half an hour before you want to be there. Just give yourself the extra time. You can always just like nap in the car, listen to a podcast, listen to your, you know, listen to your music, download a couple... I've actually done it where I've downloaded a couple episodes off of Netflix. So if I'm there crazy early, I don't mind. I'm just chilling out and like keeping my, you know, heart rate low, just kind of zoning out. And then, you know, when it does get into like where my warm up window and that kind of stuff starts, I'm there. I'm chill. I'm not stressed on finding a parking spot or like where I put my shoes or, you know, oh crap, there's traffic getting into the park, any of that stuff. So just plan to be there earlier than you want to be. And I would, again, whether that's in a paper journal with your sort of race plan, like I was saying, um, which is a good practice for anyone who's newer to racing. Um, you know, we use it with our younger athletes, but I think if your your race age, your athlete age is younger, especially, or if you've never done it, it's worth doing. But I mean, even in your Google calendar, so you can plan your day, you know, you know the race is from one till three. You know the start is 15 minutes before. You know you want to warm up for 45 minutes. You know it takes you half an hour to find your tights and put them on in the race. And get your numbers. Um, so then you sort of back that out and put those little things all time stamped. And then you'll know what time you need to leave. And like Molly says, leave some skew time around all that so you're not rushed. 
Yeah, because I think the worst thing is to be rushed. Like, you're never going to be that annoyed that you're 20 minutes early and you got 20 minutes less sleep. Because, like, frankly, most of you, and I include myself in this, aren't sleeping that great the night before anyway. Well, and you don't want to use that. Again, when we're thinking about decisions, you know, you only have so much decision-making energy. Um, and then you don't want any extra stress, you know, as much as you can avoid, there's always going to be stuff, but, you know, so if you're swearing at someone at the car window and the lights are all turning at the wrong time, and then there's a detour and then the parking guy is, you know, stupid at the race and he's putting you in the back of the parking spot and, um, you know, whatever happens, I always think, what if I got a flat, would I still make the race? You know, would it be, you know, that ruined the whole day or do I have enough time here that I could conceivably fix a flat i think you've known people who've gotten both a flat tire on their car and on their bike in in the same day yeah sometimes people are looking for excuses like that but uh, in any case plan out your your day i give it a try right and i think you'll find that that's pretty pretty helpful in this overarching nerves thing because it's preparation which is sort of your main defense yeah and then last question is just dressing right and i mean i know you've had years and years of experience with this so I'll let you tackle it. I'm sure we're going to come back to practice and game play. Yeah, I suggest game playing. Mm, new, um, new thing here. Yeah. Totally new concept to this podcast. The one thing I always find helpful, and again, people can find their own. Like I, I tend to be on the cold side of things. Like I, I prefer to just sweat more. Uh, so I'll overdress often. Um, but th- there's a couple like landmarks that I have. Uh, where at 15 degrees, I uncover my legs. And for racing, you know, if it was cyclocross, I'd probably go down a little lower. A great man once told us, yeah, you don't win races in leg warmer. Yeah, and I mean, definitely, you need to take that. If you're really going for it, then, you know, some of this leg warmer and how, how hot, how warm you dress will change. But I think as you train in more conditions and do intervals, especially in different conditions, you start figuring out what works and how to peel layers. Um, but I, I feel like people overthink, like you're, you sort of have your race day, whatever your, your kid is, right? And usually the season's fairly stable. And then as it gets colder, you know, you have a rainier race or something like that, right? Then that's where maybe you add something like arm warmers or I don't know, you know, a vest or a rain jacket for the road or different lenses for sunglasses, different gloves for the road is especially very critical. So let's just, I'm going to just throw a random scenario at you. Uh, Say it's, it's, you know, 62 degrees, so like 15, 16 Celsius and rainy but not pouring how would you dress for a road race for example Uh, i see it's tougher on the road for sure because then you have wind and spray and stuff so um, i would be most concerned about lenses for the glasses Ah, thankfully we have those clear glasses yeah and you could maybe go with a hat or something but you know you're going to want a rain jacket and then you want to have practiced ideally the rain jacket coming on and off because that's the main thing is oh damn it cleared up or oh damn we're on this mountain and now i'm sweating a ton right so just even being able to unzip and zip things up is going to be let you customize that i just don't think i'll wear a rain jacket because that was my nemesis at paris Lancaster last season was i started it was freeze it was freezing it was probably 35 so just about freezing and i started in a rain jacket and within the first two minutes i knew i made a huge mistake yeah so i mean i would be most concerned about like i would maybe go 16 degrees is a tough one but you're over that threshold right so to me you'd probably be okay with uncovered legs then thankfully mad alchemy is a sponsor so we have their and you could certainly use some warming oil 
Um, I would maybe go with gloves that are going to be a little bit warmer because those aren't hard to, to take off sure. if you need to. Um, something that's made to have grip in the rain. Um, and, and then again, like if your chance of hitting the deck is also higher. So I'm also thinking just protecting hands, right? Because hands are delicate. Sure. Um, yeah. And to me, the lens is like just sort of being able to see and being able to customize sort of how warm you are. So they'll make thermal jerseys sometimes. Um, you know, you could put a vest on and then the vest is pretty easy to like open up as well and has the backs open for breathing. So something that's going to just cover and keep you a little warmer from the the wind as you get cold, right? Because it's 16, but it, once you get soaking wet and now you're moving at 40 kilometers an hour, sure. um, you know, then that's going to get cold. So yeah, for sure. But the big thing is just the more you ride, the more you figure out sort of what you, what works for you, right? And you make mistakes and, you know, sometimes you're cold, sometimes you're warm and unzip, zip up. Well, conveniently, it's, uh, it's about 60 and rainy here today. So I guess I'm going to go out and gameplay that a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we're going to wrap up there. Um, if you guys have any other questions about racing or about anything else athlete related, um, hit us up over at consummateathlete.com. Um, we'd love it if you enjoyed this episode, if you feel like you know this is going to help you with your racing this season, if you could leave us a rating or review over on iTunes. You can do it in your browser, on your computer now, or just through your phone, whichever. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening and enjoy your week and happy racing to anyone who's heading out to the races this weekend. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete, like you, save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D, that's C-A-P-O-D, for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.